Good afternoon, and thank you for joining us for the Auto Retail Live webinar, The Future of After Sales. Gosh, that's quite a big topic to tackle in 40 minutes, isn't it? Well, of course, we looked after sales to be the engine room, the financial engine room of a retail business, delivering the uh, income to cover the business overheads uh, and creating customer loyalty. Now, remember the phrase, sell the first car from the showroom and then sell the next five from the service department. But the world has changed. New car sales have been down for three years. There's a whole of between one and a half and two and a half million new cars in the sales plan, uh, all of which means fewer cars into franchise workshops where the one to three year old cars typically keep the lights on. On top of this, the technology mix has changed and continues to change with the more mechanically complex petrol and diesel internal combustion engine cars being gradually replaced with the electronically complex EVs that require less maintenance. Add in a cost of living crisis, oh yes, that one. Uh, maybe the future of after sales isn't quite so bright, or is it? These are bold statements uh, with significant consequences, of course, for the after sales department. So let's unpack some of these this afternoon with our panel today and see what the road ahead looks like. A warm auto retail network. Welcome back to Robert Forrester, Chief Executive of Virtu Motors. Uh, welcome to Sarah Rettle, Director of Customer Service Division at Ford, and John Law, Data and Insights Director at Real Time Communications. Of course, your comments and thoughts are central to our webinar, and thank you for taking time to join us this afternoon. Please do send through your thoughts, comments, and questions. You can type them in. Uh, they come through to our editor, uh, Tristan Young, uh, who sends them through to us. So please do let us know your comments, and we'll be keeping an eye on social media with the hashtag ARNLive. Well, let's start, first of all, with a bit of data. We always like some facts, some figures to start the conversation. Uh, the latest auto retail bulletin, if you have received yours yet, um, on the Insights page, uh, actually features uh, data from John's uh, organization looking at September. Can you give us a feeling of what's happening after sales at the moment, John? Sure, yeah, thanks, Al. Um, yeah, so definitely we're seeing, and, and we looked at a first in the first degree at absorption rates, um, and we're seeing a drop there. So we see about 11% drop year on year across after sales absorption. Um, now, obviously, that can be a number of factors. You know, we, we, we talked about new car supply there. We talked about the cost of living. We talked about electric vehicles. So all of that could be lending itself towards that. We, we looked as well at red conversion. Now, there is a little bit of obviously a caveat in that, and that people measure red conversion differently. So we've tried to remove a lot of the outliers and things in that data. Um, but we're seeing a lot of red, a lot of extra red work being identified. And amber work being identified actually as well, but the conversion rates have dropped on those year on year. So red conversions dropped by about three percent, and amber's maybe down by about eight percent. Um, and we will touch on this more electric vehicles, and we can definitely see a difference with electric vehicles. So the average invoice value across all of the dealer groups that we looked at for electric vehicles was about half that of diesel. So again, definitely as that park increases, the electric park increases. That's bound to have an impact, and obviously we can look at how we can we can help with that. But that, that's the main trends we're seeing across after sales year on year at the moment. Okay, thanks, John. So we're seeing yeah a, a slowdown in absorption, but actually an increase in the per invoice. But there's fewer invoices coming through. Robert, is that a picture you recognise across Virtu Motors? 
Uh, well, if you look at absorption, I mean, I think it's impacted by a lot of things, really. Uh, clearly, inflation is increasing costs in general. Uh, we've got technician capacity of last 12 months has been a big issue, which puts a damper on revenue growth. Technician costs are definitely rising, which puts an impact on gross profit. And I think the conversion point is actually a good one. Um, and I think actually the data that's in the latest bulletin is actually good. You know, the, the 5% increase in conversion, if you get a decent video, I think is a very, very good point, actually. On the electric vehicle side, I think it's way too early to start comparing electric vehicle real-world data with ICE, because clearly we've got 30 years of ICE park and we've got Soddle uh, park <laughs> for electric vehicles. So you're comparing, you know, an 18-month-old, 12-month-old electric vehicle with a six-year-old ICE thing. I, mean, I think it's a nonsense comparison, actually, though the point may stand in the future. Uh, I think the real work we've got to do on absorption is get the right resource in place, be efficient, and I think efficiency is an issue uh, as, a, as some of the complex work comes through in terms of impacting efficiency, and sell more work, I think. So, I, I mean, it's a real battleground absorption as we see cost pressure erode it. But do you still see after sales in the future being uh, the, the engine room for the business or do you see any change? Yes, uh, or I just, just think we've got to be very clear what after sales is. I mean, I think of, of, I think we've got a very bright future for franchised accident repair centres because of the complexity of the vehicles actually means that more franchise dealers, I think, will have accident repair centres and that's going to be a good revenue for us. Things like smart repair in dealerships. So if, if somebody comes in with a board and it's got some work required, then we actually do that work. We, we, a lot of places don't have that facility. And on servicing, I think the complexity around connected vehicles, autonomous driving capability, uh, the, as you mentioned, the software complexity, as well as things like electric vehicles, tyres, means I think there's actually a very bright future for higher retention of the vehicle park as it gets electrified and more complex and knock the independence into touch, to be honest with you. And that's Clearly, what the manufacturers and the retailers have got to do, we've got to increase retention to overcome any dilution that may or may not be with around electric vehicle component. So we've got the view from from retail. Let's let's turn to manufacturers. Sarah, um, thinking about it, obviously years of experience looking across Ford, and as as Robert says, we've got lots of data from internal combustion engines. The last few years has been all over the place. You know, we've had COVID, we've had um, chip shortage. Do the seasonal uh, patterns, are they still just going through a blip or, or, or has it changed for good and we need to think differently as we're going forward? Um, I think I think it's it's true that they've changed for good. I mean, Robert makes a you know, great point in terms of, how, you know, the 30 year odd years of, of Ice Park that we have. Uh, and if you look at, you know, even our kind of 0 to 5, 0 to 7, 7 to 10 year park, we've still got a massive opportunity. Um, within uh, within the dealerships to retain those customers, and if you were to look at a kind of a complete industry picture, anyway, the, the, the kind of line between EV and PV doesn't quite, you know, it re reaches an equilibrium point about 2027. So, you know, the future is still. I think we've got a lot of of learning to do, as as Robert's just mentioned. You know, we can make some interesting comparisons around service absorption um, uh, from ICE to, to ICE to BEV, um, but that will be progressively maturing over time. Um, and therefore, you know, what are the things that we know that are, are different? Yes, of course, COVID had a, a seasonality push into the second quarter um, versus the standard March and September peak. Um, we've also had the impact of extended service intervals, which was going to come anyway. Um, and then you have um, the shortage of, of new vehicle sales. 
Um, and then you have the added impact of um, future product, which is neither mileage, uh, often neither mileage nor, uh, nor time bound in terms of the visit that it requires to the workshop. Um, and therefore, what, what, what's important is that, you know, we go after, we go after the parts of the business which we know are, are there, which have been traditionally really hard, especially for franchise networks to, to, to pick up on. So if you take that, you know, in, a, in, an, in an environment where um, new, new vehicle um, product is short, used vehicle product is starting to get a lot shorter, um, the access point from a financial perspective is higher than it was before. Um, therefore, the standard kind of turn cycle that we would have expected to see in retail is being pushed far further out. Um, and what we now need to focus on is to make sure that those people who were on a traditional seasonal pattern, either of a 12 month or a 12 and a half thousand miles, we start to get them back into our workshops with um, you know, extended loyalty products and, and, and that kind of thing. And, and finally, before, I, before we move, move off, I think it's really important, um, uh, the, the other point that we mentioned, that after sales is not just about, um, about the uh, service workshop. Um, the fact is, if we really want to make sure that we um, are a profitable and vibrant industry going forward, the investment needs to be not, ju in, not just in workshop, but body shop, in parts departments, and actually in the frontline staff as well. We need to build, we need to keep building um, a, a solid workforce to keep us relevant for the future. And how, sorry, just staying with that point, that's interesting in terms of recognizing those other those other elements. How do you as a as a brand, how does a manufacturer play a role in that? Obviously, there's a changing retail environment going on and different arrangements and agreements. But but how, how do you um, support those other elements for for retail? <clears throat> uh, so for retail, we have the Ford Certified Collision Network, which uh, which kind of changed our franchise from um, kind of a, an older traditional authorized repairer agreement into um, it, it, into an approved repair status, whereby it's so important that the correct repair methods, the correct training goes into making sure that if a Ford needs any kind of body repair, uh, and not just body repair and sheet metal, but you know the mechanical repair that takes place underneath the metal, that's done with the, uh, with the original equipment parts and with people who know how to fit them. So it's a it's a it's a preparation for the future. Robert, can I come back to the point that you um, you touched on in in your opening remarks there about electric vehicles and saying um, uh, yeah uh, you said there wasn't a lot of data. I'm paraphrasing um, about this. How different are EVs even at this early stage? Um, because it, it's the question people want an answer to, and there must be some evidence that you're seeing maybe in warranty yeah, or in the I amount. Yeah, the, the answer right. is to go and visit. The answer is to go and visit Norway. I mean, you can't find the answer in the United Kingdom because we're just not there. But go to Norway, and I think you've got more chance of finding the answer. Um, and the answer is the work. And there was a very good article I did read recently, actually, on this. The, the work changes in many ways. I mean, clearly, we've got battery, battery competency centres where if a battery goes wrong, I've got 12 hours of work to do on the battery. Um, and it's highly complex work and highly technical work. So I think the thing shifts. Clearly, you lose a lot of parts actually in the service department, you know, oil filters, you know, anything to do with those mechanics go over time. A uh, long time though, let's not panic. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm intending to work for a very, very long time. And I'm not overly convinced that I, I won't see this job out in terms of advice. So I think we've got very slow glacial changes, not radical changes, assuming we can get the retention piece. Retention both in terms of the quantum of the zero to three year part we take and penetrating older vehicles. And Virtue, for example, increased our 
labour sales in the last 12 months, despite the decline of the zero three year park, because our average car in the service department is 4.6 years. We've got 169,000 people on service plans. And in November, for example, we, we gave two years free servicing on the 8,000 used cars that will sell. So clearly we're going to have very, very high retention. So aim is up. Uh, I think things will change. Tyres are going to be phenomenally important. Electric vehicles seem to use a lot more tyres. So if you decided as a franchise dealer not to sell tyres, I think you're going to miss the ball, to be honest. So we've got to be looking at the bits we can we can take and maybe take something back that we've lost from outside the franchise dealer network. Actually, that's something crucial. Um, you know, smart repair, tyres that we historically haven't had. You're watching the Auto Retail Live Future of After Sales webinar. Thank you very much. If you just joined us, uh, you're welcome to uh, submit any questions or comments you have for our panel. You can do that by typing into the uh, webinar questions bar or if you're on social media using the hashtag ARNLive. Uh, John Law, thinking about KPIs, what, what KPIs really offer the best insight uh, in terms of managing um, after sales. We we touched on overhead absorption, which is a bit of a blunt instrument. Uh, but what are the other uh, elements that, that people are looking at, and, and how do they use it? Um, no, I think I think this is this is a really good question, and, and I thought about this one a lot. So I don't think there's not one silver bullet. There's not one KPI that says here's how we are going to do really well in after sales. And we do talk about absorption as being the output of lots of other information that goes into that, lots of other data points that goes into that. So when we look at people across our, our network and look at all of our data, people that do really well are people that have marginal marginal improvements in lots of different areas. So be that in, you know, red work identify, be that in the number of videos you send, be that on and Robert touched on technician efficiency and utilization and productivity. So I think for me it's about managing all of those key data points and gaining those marginal improvements across all of those. A big area that we see as well, and, and we talk about customer retention and things like that, is being really good around managing your customers. So if you've got contact centers, really using the data well to understand how they're performing. So understand um, you know, what's the right time to make contact with a customer. You know, what should you be saying to customers at certain times? You know, we've worked with quite a lot of retailers to to help with that. So I haven't really given an answer as what's the best KPI, but for me, the important bit is use your data really well and manage all of those KPIs. And I think a bit as well that we see is trends. Look at your trends. So we can see something performing really well now, but it's on a downward path. So again, keep an eye on your KPIs from a trend perspective and not just say, yes, we're good on red work. Because you know we're able to spot that you know your red work identified is actually heading the wrong direction, even though you're you're looking good right now. So a lot of stuff to manage, and I think, and I'm obviously biased on this. I think you'll have good systems to help you manage that, but manage all of those those, those KPIs is vitally important. Sounds like the the Olympic coach who who said you know you you improve fractions in every area across your game, and and overall uh, the performance moves. Um, Sarah, let me come to you and Robert in a second. But Sarah, from a manufacturer perspective, obviously you're looking at your network in terms of performance. So what, what are the key things that you're looking for to, to measure the, the effectiveness, of essentially, of delivering uh, the service to, to the customers for the brand? Um, so I guess there's a, there's a, there's a few different uh, key. Outside of the standard industry metrics that we've talked about already, average red work, conversion, absorption, et cetera, 
Um, the key things for me, uh, which I can get to at a granular level, will be things like part sales per visit, uh, number of visits per day, uh, segment, and as, as much segmentation as you can sit, have behind that as possible. So that's age, that's kind of uh, engine type, that's um, uh, so uh, age of vehicle, mileage, etc. Um, and then from there, what we're able to establish um, are to pull in other factors to really start to build a 360 picture um, of, of what the experience is like for a customer. So we'll now build in things like, well, if your part sales per visit um, net of pricing is significantly lower than, than the national average, well, what's the quality of your video check like? And if the quality of your video check is poor, then it will stand for reason that you're not maximizing um, the, uh, you know, the opportunities that are there for work that need that needs to be done that you don't want to lose out of the workshop. And then the final part, at the end of the day, there is a customer front and center of all of the activity that we're doing that keeps our businesses alive. And if we don't take into account a net promoter score or some kind of customer satisfaction index at the end of all of that, then then you know we, then then we've missed the we've missed the point of, of doing what we're doing. So um, a lot of things, customer at the center, and then really building back. Do we have a customer contact strategy that we can drive on, on behalf of a retail retailer because your visits are behind, relatively speaking, others relative to national or and or segment performance? How is your part sales performance? What should that promote score like? And what can we do to support growth? So several several data points that you're looking at. Robert, you you I imagine, um, I imagine it's like the Starship Enterprise on your laptop with with metrics for everything. But but from an after sales point of view, what are the key things that you're looking at? And then how does that flow through to the retention aspect? Robert, I'm not sure if you can hear us. I'm just saying, what are the key the key data points that you're looking at? And then how do you make sure that flows through and, and delivers your your retention? Now, I think we seem to have lost uh, Robert. Perhaps he can reconnect and 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 join in. Um, customer uh, retention is is at the heart of this, Sarah. Ultimately, um, from from both manufacturer and retailer perspective, what 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 do you see are the key elements in terms of retention and ensuring that that customer outside maybe of the naught to three uh, into the you know naught to seven years or, or three to seven years. Um, becomes loyal and therefore drives the value back into the retailer. Um, I want to say I, I absolutely love what Robert just said about the fact that, you know, um, two year servicing with, with used vehicles. And I think that you know, I've been pushing along with our network to maximize the, the, um, the used vehicle opportunity. I'd like to make two points, if I may. First of all, we talk about connectivity on vehicles as if it was a thing, you know, happening now or happening in the future. Um, but the reality is connected vehicles are are, are already well within the um, that, that second ownership cycle. Um, and we only really talk about the benefit of connected vehicles typically at the point of uh, new vehicle sale um, and at the point of service event where, you know, we're able to um, see the health of the vehicle through connected systems. Um, but, but the reality of the situation is that the used vehicles that we're retailing have got a great opportunity to get used vehicle sales teams, if indeed you have that separation, and if you don't, then, then great, um, to start talking about all of the benefits and, and talk about it in a, a meaningful and human way. Um, I, I had a conversation last week to say, you know, I use my Ford Pass app to, um, if my daughter asks for 50 quid for fuel because she says she's got none left, and I can see exactly how much fuel she's got <laughs> in the tank, and I can see exactly where she is if she tells me she's somewhere else. 
you know, create human stories about the, the real, the true benefit of, of having connected, not just the fact it's a kind of ethereal thing in the ether about um, technical complex issues that people don't really want to try to understand. Um, and then secondly, um, I, I, I um, we've talked about uh, extended servicing and, and warranty, but um, looking even at your, one of your own articles um, uh, uh, posted yesterday, I think it was uh, Motorpoint who said that, you know, nearly two thirds of, of, of vehicle owners are stressed about, you know, that they've got an older vehicle, they're stressed about um, at the cost of an unexpected repair bill. So actually starting to work now, either at making those um, uh, those events more convenient and and, and palatable through, you know, buy now, pay later products and or having a good access point um, to start having an extended warranty that gives someone reassurance that if someone goes wrong, they don't have, a huge, you know, an unexpectedly large repair bill. I think these are really key things. So connectivity, um, you know, checking out the problem before it happens and then two, really going faster on loyalty. Interesting that point, John, about uh, that, that Sarah raises there about affordability given cost of living crisis. Is that something that that will will come into maybe um, the view of the after sales team in terms of having some reporting to understand whether somebody's buying, you know, paying cash or whether they they need some kind of program uh, in order to fund it? Yeah, and I think I think that's about absolutely it will and it should, I think, most importantly, and that's about to me really good CRM, really understanding your customers, understanding the individuality of those customers. You know, we, so we again would do a lot of work on like cohort analysis and things and understanding where customers fit into those different different cohorts, how they like to pay, you know, what works for them. And, and, and Sarah, Sarah said that as well about, you know, making when, when you talk to your customers, making it relevant to them, making it convenient for them. And that all comes back to truly understanding your customers. So naturally, I come at it from the data perspective. And I think that's where we have so much information now in automotive coming from so many different directions and getting that centralized into one place and understanding those customers is vitally important. And then serving that up to the people that are actually talking to the customers and connected cars, a huge part of that as well. You know, connected car has to feed into that. It's a big part of the ownership and, and understanding those customers. You're watching the Auto Retail Live webinar, The Future of After Sales, uh, looking to provide some uh, practical guidance and some insight into planning for the future. Robert, um, we've been talking about some of the um, some of the ways of customer retention, uh, which is a, a big focus for you in, in, in Virtu. Um, Sarah was talking about the relevance of, of taking the opportunity of explaining connected um, services, for example, to, to the second owner of the vehicle, rather than just focusing on the on the first owner, and also thinking about the, some of the financing and funding aspects of it. I know we lost you briefly, but um, what's your focus in terms of after sales and retention? What's your, what's your strategy? Well, I think there's a number of things. Can you still hear me okay? Is that okay? Yeah, loud and clear. Yeah, okay. Um, well, first thing I do, if the manufacturer's got an app that the customer has to use, we have to get that connected. Because uh, I think with a connected car, that is vital. So measuring that is crucial. Secondly, a retention tool like service plans is fundamental. And, you know, we need to be penetrating both new but predominantly used cars to make sure we're getting that older park in. And we have to have segmental pricing to make sure that we are competitive in the older car market to make sure that we can compete head on with the independents, provide a better service and therefore drive retention that way. And I think actually the industry generally has been pretty good at that, if I'm honest. And obviously the, the main thing is 
if somebody comes in and has a poor experience, they're not coming back. So let's get back to some fundamentals as to as to what we have to do. And, and how are you measuring that? How are you looking at those particular elements? How do you track it to make sure the idea becomes reality? Well, we track everything, to be honest with you. So we track uh, service retention, what percentage of our customers come back, both the new car customers, service customers and used. Uh, what percentage of used cars go out with a retention product is a big one. We measure uh, customer experience using the manufacturer's scores predominantly. Uh, so we've got a, a good 360 degree view as to how the customers are behaving. And, and clearly with 250 people in contact centres in the northeast whose sole job is to increase customer retention into our service departments, utilising digital email, text and phone calls, then we should be able to drive uh, traffic into the dealerships, clearly it's then to the dealerships to convert work and, and to deliver a great experience. And are you seeing, looking forward, uh, continuing to, to dive or to dig deeper into the older park? As, as Sarah said, you know, there's going to be several years um, of, 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 of um, you know, shortage because there's been a shrinkage of new cars. So will you continue to, to work into the older park? Oh, 100%. I mean, in the first half of our financial year, we had 13,000 service bookings from people who we had never sold a car to and never had a service uh, done in our dealerships before, where we had a conquest strategy to go and find them. Um, and I still think there's a lot more can be done. I mean, we've never cracked, for example, family and friends recommendations for service, which always seems a bit strange to me. So we've got a good service customer, they're satisfied, why aren't they referring their friends and family into us for service? We do it on sales, we don't do it on service. So I think there's a raft of work to do. I, um, you know, I think we're at 4.6 years average age of car into service departments. I think with the retention strategies the manufacturers have put in place, good example would be Toyota Relax, um, and all the other manufacturers are on the similar sort of page, then I think we can and must penetrate that historic park. Are there any other trends that, and I'll come to you in a second, Sarah, but just Robert, briefly, I mean, are there any other trends coming along um, in, in things like home servicing? I mean, those those are, those sort of services are available. Everybody seems to want everything. They to are. Home. I'm not in any way optimistic about that, if I'm honest. Uh, home servicing, I think, is a complete nonsense. If you take a technician and you measure his efficiency, getting him travelling across cities between jobs seems a very strange thing to do with me. And unless it's significantly incremental in terms of customers, I think is a no-no. If you have van servicing where a van goes to a fleet depot and can get, you know, through eight, four, five services during the day without moving, that's got some potential. I know some operators who've made a good job of that. But unless the customer is willing to pay more for the inherent inefficiency of the technician and for the investment made in the van, I personally think home servicing is a complete waste of time actually um, so I think there's a there's a few ideas out there which I think we've got to see are the economic models and our customers willing to pay for them what we can't be doing is giving things away for free for example you know the horror show that would be if every car that came in for a service that was electric had to go out with a, a full charge on the battery I mean the logistics of that the cost of that Brilliant for customers, but if you give anything away free, then customers like it. You know, that just isn't going to be possible unless the customers are willing to pay for it. 
Sarah, thought, thoughts on, on other things that may be emerging in terms of the trends that are going to drive after sales? I mean, Robert's touched that in, into EVs. Is there anything relevant to that from your perspective? Um, I, I, I don't... Um, I, you, you, you're you making you're asking a question about a distinction between an EV customer and an ICE customer. And it's true that if you look at demographics, an EV customer is likely to want to uh, access technology more frequently. But I kind of believe that at the end of the day, a customer is a customer and the convenience that you're going to offer them um, is going to be relevant to them. It kind of almost irrespective of the vehicle that they're driving. And therefore, um, I, 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 I recognize, a, 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 you know, so there are things which can be chargeable today, um, but uh, that can be done ISO or so whether that's pickup and delivery. So you've got a slick online booking platform. So you make things as frictionless and seamless for customers as, as you can. You try if, if there is a way that you can ensure a customer avoids um, having to speak to a, a person if that's what they want to do. So that might be online service booking. It might be a remote check in service with a remote yeah. key drop service followed up by um, uh, by a, a video um, and then a really good follow-up um, afterwards to make sure that everything was fine um, and or collection and delivery service at their convenience. So I think that um, convenience is, is, is what matters, but not just each of the individual elements that are convenient, but the whole thing in the future really needs to fit together in a very seamless, frictionless way. So it feels... Um, I totally agree with that. And I, I think digitalization of the app and sales customer experience is really crucial. We will have sales service check-in and online check-in in place across the entire group within six months. And making it seamless and hassle-free, whilst not massively increasing the, our cost of ability to do it, I think is the critical aspect. Yeah. And we, and we definitely very much see that as we see the change, you know, and the, the, the change in the dynamic of the people that are buying cars and getting cars serviced. And like Robert makes a point about, you know, people willing to pay more. And I think people are willing to pay more for convenience. We see that in how people buy things in general now, let alone the, let alone an automotive. So I actually think, you know, it's an opportunity for retailers to really give people the, the journey and the experience that they want rather than kind of what we dictate all the time. Questions coming through for our Auto Retail Live Future After Sales webinar. Thank you for those. Uh, keep them coming. John Robbins uh, from Dick Lovett. Good afternoon, John. Uh, and I'm going to come to you, John, first of all. Uh, John's question is, what's the best channel uh, for Conquest customers um, in service? And, and if, if that is online, he wants to know what specific media that might be. Um, I think, again, I'm, and this is going to sound like a waffly answer, I don't think there is again, a silver bullet to that. And it very much depends on your customers. There's no doubt that online, we see anything that's done online, anything that's done digitally, anything that's done via video, getting the best interaction with customers and the best conversion rates always. We always see that across all of it. So I think as a general, as a general rule, you try and do it in that digital way, the way that the people want themselves. So you know, we want to serve up digitally, we want to serve up by a video, we want to serve up on the devices that they want, all of that sort of idea. I don't think there's a silver bullet that says this is exactly how we should do it. So does that play back to your point, Robert, about it's you do it do it my way? So you've got your call center and you've also got your online check-in? Yeah, we, we should leave customers to we should give customers choices on how they want to interact with us. Leave it to yep. the customers really to, to access what we do, making it as easy as possible. And customers are all different. Some people like to come in and book their service popping into the dealership. Other people like to do it completely online. And I've 
online self service check in, pay online, and, and not really see anybody. Um, and I think that's fine, and that's that's the platform we need to deliver. Really great. Sarah, I'm going to come back because you touched on this issue. Uh, this is a question from uh, Liam Finney. Hi, Liam. Um, do EV customers need a different approach for retention compared with ICE? I suspect you're probably going to say no, but but I, I don't want to prejudge. <laughs> Actually, no. Yeah, I, I, that, that, I wouldn't say that. I would say absolutely they need something different. Um, and let me and let me explain why. Because you know a service plan of old um, has been you know you cover the cost of your uh, of, of, a, of a standard you know service schedule, um, which happens to be at either a mileage based or a, or a time based uh, um, you know uh, uh, interval um, with 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 a wash and vac right. So you've now got EV technology, which is well you actually you're um, two years unlimited mileage. You know what what's the compelling draw to get so you know to really get somebody back into um, in, into the network to check on things like, you know, as Robert's mentioned already, something that dealers have always found hard, selling tyres or selling tyres, tyre conversion, um, and also things like glass. Again, we've, we've, we've kind of given glass out to the insurer network. So actually, I think that we have a real, we've, I, I don't think Ford have got there yet, I'll be really honest with you, and I probably the industry isn't there yet. But I think that if you want a compelling um, suite of loyalty products that's wrapped up in a package, it needs to have a lot more value add uh, interactions, such as maybe access to different charging solutions, just something different that actually has a draw um, to create um, to, to create a different level of interest. Because it's not about it's not about filters and, and oil changes anymore. It has to be something different. Interesting. Um... Robert, this one this one's a little bit long, but but bear with us. Dean Alders from the Holden Group. Hi, Dean. He says, with the rise in EV sales, have you experienced an uplift in non-billable diagnostics? Because technicians don't yet have enough experience with the cars, but it's causing delays in the workshop and shortfalls in other billable hours sold. And how have you overcome it? Uh, the answer to that question is no, I think. Um... We have trained technicians on electric vehicles. I think the factories are doing a good job in supporting us with both manpower and know-how. Um, that's not to say there aren't issues on diagnostics, but I, I, I think there's a raft of things in ICE vehicles that we find difficult to diagnose, intermittent faults being a cause of some complaint. Um, so I haven't seen that yet, to be honest with you. And, and certainly the work changes, that's for sure. We all know you know, a lot more is about software downloads and if, if batteries go wrong, there's some, you know, big, big bills. And I actually think that the, the RTC, the real-time communications work is interesting because, of course, the, the vehicles that have the highest average invoice value are hybrids because they've got two sets of powertrains going on and are, and are really complicated. Um, but I haven't really got a sense that we're seeing any decline in efficiency due to... Uh, Different powertrain mix. I wouldn't say I have seen that. Okay, interesting. That probably leads on to the next question from uh, Julian Muir um, from the Automotive Thirty Percent Club and Philip Wiley from Pro Align, asking about the challenges with regards to to skills uh, in terms of recruiting, remuneration, and and retention. Robert, I'm going to come to you first for that, but then on to Sarah. Oh, well, it has been a severe challenge over the past. Uh, 12 months uh, where there are two two aspects to it one is technicians where there's been considerable fight for talent um 
we've actually made very good progress. I mean, uh, I think 12 months ago, we had an eye on 500 vacancies across the group. We got that down to 320 now, which I think is pretty close to normal levels, actually. Um, but we haven't got just got constraints on the technical side. If you actually look at service advisors, uh, there's been considerable competition in that area as well. And we tackled that by taking on 120 customer service apprentices uh, last March, which has brought a raft of talent over and above normal resource levels into the front line of service receptions. So I think it is a, a battle. It's a continual battle. Uh, people say service advisors is the hardest job in the sector, and I think you're probably right. But I think things like work-life balance initiatives, self-service check-in, uh, triage, where you've got simple service, perhaps going through self-service or hope more host-type uh, workers, and then heavy diagnostics going through even technicians or very experienced senior service advisors. I think there are ways we can sort of deal with that. We've got to be a bit more intelligent in how we operate. And how, how does it look manufacturer side, Sarah? Um, yeah, it's been really tough. Um, so uh, not only is there the, 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 the shortage that we had, so look, the, the whole industry was just, I think about eight eight months ago, it was one big leaky bucket, um, forget, pardon the expression of, of people just leaving, not to go, you know, first of all, you had the kind of microcosm of leaving to go and get 10, you know, to get £1.50 an hour from, from, from the neighbouring dealer. Uh, and then progressively that became about people actually leaving our industry and moving into parallel in, in, industries where you have, you know, very transferable skills. Um, and I think that what's really good now is that um, from what I see, in particular, the, the major groups have, have made a huge steps in actually stemming that tide. Um, so a lot of the staff retention um, uh, initiatives that I've seen, not just around kind of the total um, remuneration on salary, um, but in addition to that, you know, I, I hear almost on a daily basis a, a £500 cost of living, you know, um, benefit allowance, adding in things like that maybe wouldn't have been there before, like death in service or even some elements of private dental or medical care that might not have been before. Um, that give that, that you know talk to the importance and value of that employee, um, but still we don't solve the problem because the the problem of skilled the skilled staff is is industry wide, and therefore growing growing our own. Um, and I I, I talk to the complete industry on this, not just a, you know the franchise network, um, but actually reaching into schools, further education, um, in apprenticeship um, organisations to build that new. Um, energized a lot of people coming through that feel part of the culture of your business because you've invested in their future. Um, I think that is is so important. And as Robert said, it isn't just technicians. It is workshop. It's parts personnel. It's service advisors. Um, and not just in the traditional roles that, I've, that we see now, but for sure the industry has changed in the last five years and it will continue to change. So these people that we're recruiting into, um, in, into traditional roles now probably are going to be in quite hybrid evolved roles as we as the, the whole of the industry changes in the future and having people who are nimble and agile enough to be able to um, you know flex into those positions is very important. Practical advice that's what we provide through, through uh, our expert panel at the Auto Retail Live webinars. Question from Dale Bland of the Williams Group also from Monique Limerick of uh, good afternoon. Uh, both wanting more tips on Retain future EV world. John, I'm going to come to you probably with your maybe CRM focus um, in, in terms of keeping people and preparing them. 
Yeah, I think, and it touches as well, even what, what, what Robert and Sarah have both said. I think it's about understanding your customer and, and using really good CRM and good customer management to make sure you can retain those customers. There's all the, there's all the, you know, add on products you can do in the retention products, but I think it, a lot of it comes back to understanding your customers really well. And, you know, we see even like companies like Salesforce getting a lot more involved in automotive now and with the manufacturers and with retailers because this CRM piece is becoming more and more important. So for me, that's the key to understanding your customers and, and, and using the data to do that. Conversation today has been lively um, and it's been great to have you and your questions as part of the discussion. Um, as is now traditional, I'll ask each of our panelists to give us one thing to take away from our conversation uh, as we think about the future of after sales. So, uh, Robert, first of all, to you, what's the what's the thing to take away this afternoon? Perhaps you somebody in the showroom can go away and do something about I think the, the main thing for me is for all the talk about digitalization and data, et cetera, et cetera, which is of real importance. We shouldn't forget that for the vast, vast majority of customers, what they want is to have a relationship with people they trust because these cars are a big part of their lives and they move fast. And if they go wrong, it can be an accident or they can be very, very much inconvenienced. So we need to maintain that personal service relationship and trust with customers over and above technology. Trust, I'll take away. Sarah, what's, what would your takeaway be from today? Um, this is really basic, um, but I think it's massively important in its training because whatever you've got to do, if you think about the future of your workshop and revenue and profit, efficient workshop is there. So are you, it, for everybody to go away, if they had to do the one thing, look at the training skills mix that you've got now are your people trained appropriately and recruit and, and not only that but make sure that you you commit and deliver on your training commitments because um i think that you know in studies that have been done in the past it hasn't been paid that's been the single biggest reason that some people have left the industry it's the fact they haven't felt valued enough when people haven't followed through on the training commitment they were promised at the beginning in terms of that future career path that they could have with the business and John, John Law, what's your takeaway? Uh, my takeaway would be, yes, I think times are quite hard, but there's a massive amount of opportunity, I think, in automotive. And I think for me, it's get a really good business intelligence solution in place that allows you to utilize that opportunity. But of course, I'm going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> to Robert Forrester, Chief Exec at Virtu, Sarah Brettel, uh, Director of Customer Services at Ford of uh, UK and Ireland, and John Law from Real-Time Communications. I've written down trust, training, and data insight. Thank you very much for joining us this afternoon for the Auto Retail Live Future of After Sales. Uh, if you've enjoyed it, please feel free to share with your colleagues on Catch Up. And we'll see you next.